Father, truly, your faithfulness is great. Lord, my, my faithfulness is nothing. I am prone to wander from your word and from your spirit. But Lord, no matter how far we turn, no matter how far away we run, your faithfulness is still great. Your mercies are new every single morning. God, thank you that your mercies are new and your faithfulness is great. Lord, we ask that once again you would be faithful. Father, I know that I am not worthy. I know that I am not able to stand before this church to preach your word. Such a blessing, God. But it's it's only effective. It's only powerful. It's only life-changing if, Father, you move through the preaching of your word. God, I, I pray that your words would be my words, that my words would be stopped and shut off. But God, you would speak to us this morning from your word. Spirit, that you would move among us. That you would add your richest blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. That you would comfort those in need of comfort. Strengthen those of us who need strength. Encourage those of us who need encouragement. Convict those of us who need to be convicted. Challenge those of us who desperately need to be challenged and motivated, Father. Lord, all of this is possible through the power of Your Spirit moving through the preaching of Your Word. Would You move amongst us now this morning? We dedicate this time and our, our attention to You and to You alone. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to take your Bibles once again and turn with me to the book of Exodus. We are moving this morning into Exodus chapter 13. We'll be reading the first 16 verses of Exodus chapter 13. Before we begin, and as you're finding your place... Let's just take a brief moment to remember what happened last week. Last week was when the tenth and final plague took place. We got instructions about the Passover in previous chapters. We got instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We were told that, hey, they're going to kick you out and it's going to be quick. It's going to be sudden. And lo and behold, it happened exactly as the Lord said At twilight, at midnight, something happened as the destroyer, as the death angel passed through the land of Egypt. And whatever took place caused such a ruckus, caused such a noise. Everyone was awakened and interrupted from their sleep. And Pharaoh demanded of Moses and Aaron, get out, get out now. And so all of the people must gather everything that they own and look to their neighbors and ask, is there jewelry? Is there anything that you'd be willing to give us for our journey? And so the Israelites plunder the Egyptians and we're told that a mixed multitude goes up. So there's a broad ethnic representation that leaves with Israel. And so now when we reach chapter 13, we'll see more instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll see more instructions about consecrating things unto the Lord. So if you have found your place, I would encourage you once again to please stand out of reverence. 
for the public reading of God's holy word, if you are able to do so. As we look together now, the book of Exodus, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as He swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall you redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One thing that we have to keep in mind when we read Scripture, especially Scripture that is particularly this old, is that it was really difficult to record things by writing them down. They did not have easy ways of mass producing paper and pen and pencil. So I know it's tempting for us to get bored. I know that because it's tempting for me. And I go, why are we going over the same instructions over and over and over again? Why in the same 16 verses do you give us general descriptions about what it means to consecrate and then specific descriptions about what it means to consecrate? Why are we going over this two different times? Didn't we already talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Wasn't that way back in chapter 11? Why, why are we bothering with this again? 
And what we have to do is fight that tendency because they went to great pains to record it a second time. Papyrus, what they wrote on, making something to write on, making something to write with, the ability to read and write was rare. We're talking very rare. Most scholars estimate that about 95 to 98 percent of all of the population of the ancient Near East was probably illiterate and probably unable to read and write. So there's only a select few people who know how to read and write. There's only a select number of papyrus pieces that you can get to write on. And it was a process of drying out these stalks. It took a long time. So every time you run into multiple repetitions within a passage, know it's very important. God repeats himself because he wants the people of Israel to remember. You take the Passover every year. And as we talked about, they departed from that almost immediately. Just a few generations after Joshua and the people taking over the land of the Canaanites, they completely forget. They don't take the Passover all across the nation, maybe in little pockets here and there. They don't honor the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Maybe they do one but not the other. Maybe they take a Passover meal and then they don't eat the unleavened bread. They just go right back to a nice baguette or, or some kind of Subway sandwich or something. They're just like, man, we did the Passover. Why we got to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It's so important and yet the people flippantly discard it. They're supposed to consecrate the firstborn of everything that is born. Everything that is the first male born is supposed to either be sacrificed or you have to redeem it. And if, if you can't redeem your donkey, for example, because the donkey was very necessary, it was something that was your workhorse, so to speak, it's how you plowed the land is you used your donkey, you packed the pack mule, right? So you would sacrifice a lamb in place of a donkey. But if you, if you can't afford a lamb, then you just got to kill the donkey. As opposed to going and making a sacrifice of the donkey, you just break its neck and that's it. You know, I remember a, um, a comedian who talked about a horse with a broken leg and you're supposed to shoot it. And he said, well, I don't know how that helped. Now it's got a broken leg and a gunshot wound. It just reminds me of that joke um, when you talk about now your donkey has to be redeemed. If you can't redeem it, just break its neck. Well, what am I going to do with a donkey with a broken neck? Ah, now you're catching on. You see, it's mine, says the Lord. All your firstborn should be dead. They shouldn't live, but I passed them over so you have to redeem them to remember that I bought them, that I passed over them. You have to have a Passover meal to remember I passed over them. You have to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread to know you had to leave quickly and that you were distinct from Egypt. These are important things that are monumental to who you are and whose you are. And you know, it's it's funny, we seem to struggle with the same things today why on earth do we fight so hard to figure out who we are and whose we are it's because we don't go through the painstaking process of remembering all that god has done we don't go through every morning and say god your mercies are new this morning you've been faithful to me in a new way You may be like this. You may have a friend who's better or worse at this than you. Everything's bad. Nothing is good. They they can't see anything good. For example, we've had a very good problem. And and it's been interesting the way we've talked to various deacons and, and, and various leaders throughout the church 
There are those who see the problem one way and some who see the problem another way. It's a it's a wonderful problem. But for the last several Sundays, I mean, with the exception of this Sunday being a holiday weekend, we've been pretty full trying to follow the social distancing guidelines and people coming to church. It's been a problem. What what do we do? Do we ignore the social distancing guidelines? What are we how are we going to work our way through this? And some folks get very negative and caught in a cloud of, oh, this is just terrible. There's some people who aren't comfortable sitting so close to one another. And then there's some people who don't care about all this stuff and thinks it's all a hoax anyway. What are we supposed to do? This is awful. Our church is tearing apart at the seams. And then there's some folks you talk to that go, man, God's drawing people to his church in the midst of coronavirus, COVID-19, in such a way that we got to figure out where to put everybody. Woo! This is good stuff. Same situation, two different ways to look at it. We forget because it has to be something active that we do. It has to be something every year. You've got to have a feast, and that feast is just one meal, so it's not enough. So we're going to have a week of unleavened bread to remember how God delivered us. And even when things are bad, even when you're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years under God's judgment, These are the same people who go, I wish we were back in Egypt. At least we had food to eat. And so God gave them manna. And then they said, it's been 40 years and we had got a single new pair of shoes. They didn't even pay attention to the fact that their shoes hadn't worn out. They still looked brand new. They didn't need another shred of clothing. Everything looked brand new. God made all of it endure. His mercies were there every single day. But the people refused to see it. They forgot and thought they were still belonging to Egypt. They thought they were still slaves owned by this other people. They forgot who they were. And they forgot whose they were. See, they'd been set free from slavery. To be free from that mindset. But they forgot. But God even built in every time that you have a baby that's the first one. Do not sacrifice it. Don't be like these other pagan nations sacrificing your children. I don't want you to sacrifice your children to me. That's abhorrent. But I want you to remember that that child is mine. So I want you to consecrate that child. And I want you to take a lamb and go redeem that child and buy that child back. From me, says the Lord. So every time the first grandchild showed up, all the family was supposed to get together and go to the Levites and take a perfect lamb, one year old. The same statistics and the same requirements as the lamb that was the Passover lamb. And they were to take this lamb to the Levites and to the priests and say, this is our firstborn son. And they would say, we'll sacrifice this lamb on the baby's behalf. And they would dip the hyssop in the blood of the lamb and they would sprinkle it on the family to remind them that God bought you. He redeemed you. You belong to Him. And somehow in the midst of that, they forgot. They stopped consecrating their children. They stopped consecrating their donkeys. They stopped taking the first of their flocks and redeeming them and sacrificing them because they belong to the Lord. And you may think, how on earth could you forget? I mean, it's not like they were as busy as we were, right? I mean, all you got to do is keep the Passover, follow the unleavened bread for seven days, and then consecrate the firstborn if everything's done. And then you remember, the Lord delivered us. It's a good day. Everything's fine. But folks, are, are we not the same? 
Let me pose this question to you that I've been wrestling with all week long. What have you consecrated to the Lord? How have you consecrated that to the Lord? Consecrate's a churchy word, right? Kind of, kind of difficult. We'll, we'll divide it out, okay? The, the middle of consecrate has the Latin word for sacred in it. To make sacred. To set apart. To sanctify. To say this is dedicated or devoted for holy purposes. So, so I've been wrestling all week with, Nathan, what in your life have you consecrated to the Lord? How have you consecrated the firstborn of your time to the Lord? How have you consecrated the firstborn of your resources to the Lord? How have you consecrated your physical firstborn to the service to the Lord? How have you thanked God for giving you the children that you have? How does the regular rhythm of your life reflect that you've consecrated to the Lord this special category of life that Forces you to remember week in and week out who God is and what He's done for you. So, I I can't answer that for you. I've struggled with it all week. But what have you consecrated to the Lord? Man, as as you wrestle with that this week, think about there's an opportunity next week. Consecrate one hour every week. And say, this hour is dedicated to the Lord. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I I struggle for those holy habits, those holy routines, as Pastor Jake Wimberly says so eloquently. I struggle to dedicate just the first 20 to 30 minutes of my day to the Lord. I hop up out of bed and boom, there's lunches that's got to be made. Well, not anymore. Praise the Lord. Government came through. Free school lunch all the way to January. Praise God. Amen. Right? Any, any other parents? Woohoo! So I'm not making all the lunches, just Jessica's lunch. There's breakfast that's got to be made. The dog's got to be taken care of. I need to do a little bit of exercise because I'm very overweight, so I got to get that in. I got to do some devotion time. The first thing when I pop out of bed, it's oh, 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 17 things to do. Where do I start? I, I, I don't regularly consecrate the first few minutes of my day. It's a fight every week. It's a struggle because i got to remember. And if I don't consecrate the time, I won't remember. It changes everything about my day. If I don't consecrate the first fruits of what God blesses us with financially, it changes the way our budget works for the rest of the month. If I don't consecrate our time as a family to the Lord in a certain way, I will not interact with my children in the same manner as if I consecrated time to dedicate leading my family to the throne of grace. Not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm anybody special, but because God has called me to be the man of my household, to be the spiritual leader, to invest in and disciple my children. So what am I doing to consecrate my family to the Lord? How have I consecrated my car to the Lord? Do I use my car for ministry purposes? Do I use my car in a way that lets God know, I know that this car is your car? How do I consecrate my house? Do I open my home and show hospitality begrudgingly. My wife is probably the most hospitable person I've ever met. God just blessed her. Anybody sitting in this congregation is welcome at our house. 
If you were to pop in, Jessica would smile and welcome you and be excited that you came. I'm probably going to be the one over there going, oh, golly, we've got a lot to do today. They, they kind of popped in on us. What are we going to do? Jessica's going to go, sit down, shut up. Just enjoy that they're here. That's my wife. She's wonderful in all of those ways because she understands completely. We wouldn't have this house if God didn't give it to us. It's his house. So let's use it to witness to people, to open it up to people who need a place to stay, to make this house a ministry headquarters for what God is doing in our lives and in our family. That's how you consecrate your house. And I'm pitiful at it. How do you consecrate your phone? How do you consecrate all of your possessions How do you consecrate your time, your talent, your resources? God is asking that the firstborn of all of those in Israel be consecrated to Him. Whether it's livestock, in every facet of their life, He asks them to consecrate the first to Him. And He does that not because He needs it, but because we need it. Because the Israelites needed it. And those who followed through with it, they remembered. You see, We got freed from sin when we believed in Jesus. If you trust that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and you ask Him to be both your Savior and your Lord, both to rescue you and then be your boss, you have been bought out of Egypt. You've been redeemed. And these are no longer your slaveholders. These are no longer your masters. You belong to the Master We are enslaved by the one true and living God. We belong to Him. We're adopted in His family. And if we're going to remember that, we've got to consecrate and find rhythms and routines and habits of worship that force us to remember that's not us anymore. We're these people. We're not those people. We belong to Jesus. We don't belong to our sin. You can't drag me back in there because I've been bought with the blood of the Lamb and I've been redeemed. Folks, if we don't actively try to work these habits into our lives, we will forget. It's so much like somebody who's an addict and and addicted to anything, okay? I'm talking about addicted to things you shouldn't be looking at online. I'm talking about addicted to smoking, addicted to drinking, addicted to overeating, addicted to anything, crack cocaine or whatever else it may be. Talk to Walt Merrill or any of the other folks who are on the board of directors at Crossover about relapse. Talk to them about what happens when you try your best to get out of this hole and run away from it. It keeps trying to suck you back in. See, we get this idea that we get freed from sin and we were trapped down in this hole. And we climb up out of this hole and the hole stays right there. And now I'm running from the hole and it is back there and I'm getting further away. But that's not true of any addict or of Every sin addict. It's not a hole that we climb out of and run away from. It's a ditch that we fell into. That we climb out of and it's always there. It's always beside the road. You're free from it. And you don't ever have to go back in that ditch again. But it's always calling. It's always tempting. Ask somebody who hasn't smoked a cigarette in 40 years. Ask them about the smell of a cigarette. And how instantly... That voice calls to them that they want it. One more time. Ask anybody who's free from alcohol when they have that smell or they see somebody around them. It calls to them. One more time. 
Ask anybody who used to look at terrible things online. Ask them about what they have to do for their own social media because if they see somebody scantily clad, it calls to them one more time. That temptation is always there and we are always able to fall right back into that ditch. That's why it's so important that we consecrate the things in our life to the Lord so that we remember and have the ability to resist and run away. Paul struggled with this. He talks about in 1 Corinthians that God will always provide a way of escape. Why would Paul be talking about there will always be a way of escape if there's not always constant threat of temptation? It's not a hole that we run out of. It's a ditch that we run beside. And we have to dedicate, consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And as we walk, remind ourselves every day who we are and whose we are over and over with every step. It's just like not coming to church. Not consecrating or dedicating Sunday. Maybe it doesn't affect you very much if you miss one Sunday, right? Maybe one or two. But you know, there's churches all over our county even struggling because people aren't coming back. One of the fears that all the pastor friends that I have talk about is, well, maybe everybody got really comfortable to either watching or maybe not watching online. Now look, you guys are here. You're here on a Labor Day weekend. I, I understand. Y'all might as well be in the choir loft. I got it. I'm with you, okay? But hear me out. Sometimes we think that being here is non-essential. It's essential. The further we remove ourselves from the fellowship of the saints, the closer we get to that ditch. Not one of us is going to be perfect. And buddy, if I got somebody running beside me setting the pace, boy, it's a lot easier not to fall in that ditch. I'm so focused on them and keeping up with them, I don't even remember that ditch is over there. It's almost like God designed it that way, folks. So it's on us to consecrate our time, our talent, our possessions, everything we have, everything we own, everything we do, there has to be some portion that we intentionally carve out to dedicate it to the Lord. All the while, knowing if you fall back in the ditch, you've already been redeemed. And there's beautiful irony in Scripture. All right? Exodus 13 ties directly to what we see in Luke chapter 2. Because this is where you know whose you are. Look with me in Luke chapter 2. It's not just some stale passage in the Old Testament. It's not just Exodus 13 and we can gloss right over it. Look at what happens in Luke chapter 2 verses 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is, what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That part in verse 23 that's directly from exodus 13 there's a little bit of elaboration in leviticus 12 that lets you know if you are not of affluent means and and you're a little bit less on the on the income side that you can buy turtle doves instead of a lamb and so that exemption is made in leviticus 12 so we know that mary and joseph probably were a little bit poorer because they had to do turtle doves instead of a lamb 
But the irony of them taking Jesus, who is their firstborn son, to the temple to dedicate and consecrate him when he is the one who will redeem and consecrate them. The irony that this is Jesus and he is following the law and fulfilling every letter of the law. And they have to sacrifice these turtle doves on his behalf to fulfill the law because he'll be the lamb that sacrificed to redeem even his two earthly parents. And all of this is swirling around in Mary and Joseph's mind as they take their little boy to the temple. Yeah, we consecrate our time and we sacrifice to redeem the firstborn, but the firstborn is the one who ultimately redeemed us. Jesus is counted as the firstborn of Mary and Joseph, so they go to redeem the one who would redeem the world. And if you wonder about any of this connection or any of this symmetry that Jesus is the one who redeems us as His firstborn so that we might be co-heirs with Christ. Look with me at Galatians three thirteen and 14. We're going to go through some passages really quick. Galatians three thirteen and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's no more need to take and sacrifice a lamb because the lamb's already been sacrificed so that the same blessing of Abraham can come to you and to me today. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. His firstborn, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were redeemed and adopted by the perfect, spotless lamb. And Exodus 13 is showing us Christ is going to fulfill this. And then Galatians, Paul's writing about this is how Christ fulfilled what God talked about to Moses in Exodus 13. Look at Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus died to buy you. He died to buy me. You don't belong in Egypt anymore if you place your faith in Jesus. You don't belong as a slave to sin anymore because if you belong to Jesus, He already bought you back. We can't continue living lives of worldliness following passions because we've been bought by the perfect Lamb. There's no more need to follow in those worldly sins and worldly passions. We run from them. We consecrate our time because of who we are and whose we are. And if there was any doubt that Jesus is the firstborn, that He's the one who was set aside to be sacrificed for us. Last last passage, look with me at Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's not a created being. He is the same essence as God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. Three in one, one Godhead, one triune God. There was never a time when Christ was not. But the person who had authority and represented the entire household was the firstborn. Abraham weeps because he doesn't have a firstborn son that will inherit what he has. It has to go to the master of his house who is a slave, not even a member of his family. Because the firstborn was that significant. Jesus is significant in being the firstborn in position, just not chronology. He existed all time. There never was a time when Jesus was not. But in Scripture, we are clearly told He's the firstborn. So if there's a firstborn that has to be sacrificed to the Lord, boom, there's Jesus. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn From the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you know why we have hope of life after death? Because the firstborn already died and came back to life. Our big brother already died and came back to life. He's already been redeemed. He was already consecrated and set apart. He's preeminent in being killed and resurrected so we can know if we place our faith in our brother, the one who is our co-heir, that we are adopted into his family, that when we die, we will be resurrected. There is concrete Hope, because Jesus died and Jesus is alive today. You can know that if you trust in big brother Jesus, who's already paved the way, who's already made the path, if you consecrate your life to follow him, then there will come a day when death takes over you and takes over me. And we are greeted face to face immediately by God the Father who says, hey, your big brother already came through. He vouched for you. You're good to go. Come on in. And by the way, I saw all that you did. I saw how you worked for me. I saw how you lived for me. I just want to tell you before you come in, good job. Well done. Enter into my rest. You know it's going to happen because Jesus already did it. And He is the firstborn who is redeemed on our behalf to redeem us. So this morning, there's just a few simple questions to wrap this all up, okay? I've, I've, I've gone just two minutes over, all right, of 30 minutes. I'm at 32 right now. Bear with me just a few minutes more. Have you been redeemed? Have you trusted in Jesus? Can you legitimately call Jesus your big brother? Can you legitimately say, I'm in the family of God. I'm a co-heir. I got an inheritance coming my way when death takes me from this world. The only way to be able to say that is to say Jesus is my Savior. He redeemed me. But He's also my Lord. My boss. 
He's in charge of my life. Wherever he wants me to go, whatever he wants me to do, I'll do it every day till the day that I die. He's my Savior and Lord. Have you, have you made Jesus those things in your life? Have you decided that you're going to follow Jesus? Because if you haven't, you stand unredeemed. And the reception is not as warm. The reception is depart because I don't even know who you are. Second question, if you have been redeemed and you know that for a fact, what are you consecrating to the Lord? What in your possessions have you consecrated to the Lord? What in your family have you consecrated or dedicated to the Lord? What among your time or your talents or your resources have you consecrated to the Lord? How are you consecrating those things to the Lord? When we come to a passage like Exodus 13, we can't just scoot on by and not evaluate our lives. If we fail to dedicate time, talent, resources, possessions to the Lord, we're going to fall right back in that ditch. We're going to forget we don't belong in Egypt. We're going to try and go back. We're going to forget whose we are and who we are. So this morning I challenge you, if, if you trust in Jesus, if you've made Him your Savior and Lord, take some time to evaluate. As I've had to do all week long, what and how are we consecrating to the Lord? What and how are we consecrating our lives to the Lord? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that when it seemed like we were unredeemable, you dedicated and consecrated your firstborn so that we might be redeemed. You passed over us because we've been covered with the blood of the Lamb. Lord, help us to respond by calling on you to be both our Savior and Lord and by calling on you to dedicate our time, our talents, our resources, our possessions, all that we have and all that we are, let us evaluate, Lord. Show us how we might consecrate various areas of our life to you and to your service. That we might run from our sins and run to your arms. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great beyond measure. Help us, Lord, to live in a perpetual state of remembering Your faithfulness. Seeing Your new mercies. Because we dedicate our life, our time, all that we have and all that we are to serving You. To growing Your kingdom. To doing whatever it takes that some might join us in heaven family might grow. We might have more brothers and more sisters. Lord, if there's anybody listening to the sound of my voice that has never trusted in You, who's never been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, would You move on their heart this morning? 
draw them to a place where they submit to you as Savior and to you as Lord. Such a difficult and challenging and costly decision, but worth more than anything else in this world. Lord, would you move amongst us this morning and help us to respond in obedience. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.